0: What is love and what does it look like? Today on the Midweek Move, we're going to be taking a look at 1 John chapter 3 as John unveils what love is. the midweek move podcast extension of the healing place is the podcast where we examine scriptures line by line verse by verse and ask ourselves what is happening here and today let Jones. i'm super excited because i'm joined with the executive editor of the symbols Guy publications and host of influence podcast a fantastic podcast i encourage everybody to check out mr g r george p wood how are you doing sir i'm doing very well dallas thank you very much good glad to have you on hey uh for our audience who doesn't know you can you tell us a little bit about yourself
1: Sure. I am, uh, as you said, the executive editor of Assemblies of God Publications, which is primarily Influence Magazine uh, and host of the uh, Influence Podcast. I live here in uh, the queen city of the Ozarks, Springfield, Missouri, with my wife, Tiffany, our three children, and our two dogs, a Yorkie and a Beagle. Um, yeah, it's our second <laughs> set of Yorkies and Beagles. Um, uh, I, I've been at this job since uh January 1st 2010 and uh I love to read books and to talk to people so I I usually I'm on your chair in a podcast and so this is a little bit different experience for me to be interviewed but yeah.
0: <laughs> I understand I actually had the opportunity to be interviewed uh for um the website the AG website a couple a uh, couple months ago and uh, it was weird being interviewed so I I'm feeling the the awkwardness with you <laughs>
2: Yeah
1: yeah I, I'm I've done I don't know 25300 podcast interviews uh, let alone interviews of <laughs> profiles and subjects and it's just it's strange being on the other side but that's okay
0: <laughs> you'll get used to it as uh, as we kind of get through this today uh but hey we're going to be kicking off in first john chapter three and i want to encourage you guys to make sure if you haven't listened to the previous episodes where we've gone through first john one first john two and also our context what was happening in this thing uh go back and listen to these they're all up on youtube they're all in the podcast feed but let's uh let's jump into it uh, we we'll are start off real easy right at the front end with the first one. It says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us and uh, that we should be known or that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world ha- does not know us because it did not know him. Now, right off the bat here, we have John coming in kind of in awe of the love of God, expressing the the greatness of the fact that we could be called children. Uh, Children of God, this is a this is a divine act of love given to us by the Father, and there are days where I I find myself going, wow, this really is a a marvelous thing. Like I just kind of I pause at that moment. Have you ever had that experience where you're just like we had that revelation, like man, you are a child (laughs) of God. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean how you how you think of yourself
2: Mm -hmm.
1: shapes a lot of how you act, how you talk how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, the self-identification is a child of God or, or actually, it's not even self- identification. It's a revelation that we are mm. the children of God. And, 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 you know, the, the only thing with the chapter divisions, I actually think this passage begins at, at chapter two, verse 28 and oh, goes absolutely. through the end of the chapter. And, you know, I, I think that verse 28 of chapter two really hits at two characteristics that mm. shape what it means to be a child of god because and i'm reading from the niv it says now dear children continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him mm. and so you know really there's there's two there's two aspects of or several aspects i should say that you know as children Right We are born of god i'm as a father, I have a biological son and two adopted daughters oh cool and so i've i've been a I've been a father in two different ways, and mostly fatherhood is the same thing, right mm-hmm. but but it is one thing to bring a child into the world, and it's another thing to choose a child mm. and um you know in, in a sense, uh, John is pulling on the biological imagery that we've been born of God, right. But in reality, you know, only Jesus Christ is what you might call, and this is stretching an analogy to the breaking point, the biological <laughs> son of God. He is of right. one being with the father. Right. But we are, we, are, we are the father's adopted children, and that should fill us with confidence. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. But then we should also bear that family resemblance of if our father is righteous, we should be righteous, too. Mm, so um, good. But it all starts, as you read, with love. God doesn't, Mm. you know, uh, I I have some friends we were talking to this weekend, and they had uh, two children close in age, and then about 10 years passed, and they had an oopsie baby, you know? I mean, children can be born unintentionally, intentionally, you know? (laughs) uh, God's intention toward us is always loving. right? And, And I think that that, the love of God, is what makes us confident and unashamed and what ultimately produces, you know, the father's character in our own lives.
0: Absolutely. Now there is something interesting about this whole aspect that uh, we have this, this identity as children of God, and this is an expression of his love towards us. But uh, as we see this, it says that the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. This relationship that we have with God seems to put us as odds with the world. Why does this conflict seem to exist? Yeah.
1: And, you know, John is using uh, dualistic language here, mm-hmm. right? I mean, um, he's speaking in stark absolutes. I think probably everyday experience says it's, it's maybe a little bit more nuanced than that in terms of how we actually relate to people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Bible tells us there are two ways. Right? right. This is a, a consistent theme throughout Scripture. You find it in Psalms. You find it in Proverbs. You find it in John. You find it in Jesus, you know. And those two ways are basically either you are moving in the way of God mm. or you're moving away from God. And. Um, and I think what we're seeing in American society today is that, you know, for so long, American society has lived off the cultural capital of nominal Christianity, Mm. as people are ditching the nominalness, uh, the nominal Christianity, the nominal faith, we're seeing that there actually is a fairly stark difference uh, between the church and the world. And it's rooted in our ultimate values, what we take to be ultimate reality and and what we believe. And um, so, yeah, I mean, they don't understand us as children of God because they don't know God. Right. And this, of course, was the problem with the, the heretics or the schismatics who had left, is that they really didn't understand God, because if they understood God, if they received God's love in Christ, they would have stayed with uh, the church that John is writing to. Exactly.
0: Exactly. But unfortunately, like we've been talking about over the last few weeks, they've fallen into this aspect of secret knowledge. And uh, anytime I hear people like going into that realm of having a secret knowledge, the kind of the Gnostic aspect of it, it almost it, a lot of it comes from a place of un- insecurity in the relationship with God. They feel like they need something more. They need something outside of what God has already given us. And so they seek this, quote, unquote, secret knowledge. And uh, anytime you see somebody that's confident, and they're cocting with somebody who is not confident in the relationship with god we have there is a rub there is a conflict that takes place and it's kind of a sad situation that we see happening but we don't need to be surprised by it and i think it's one of the things that he's seeing we have a we have a early church that you know they're working this out together they're trying to survive there's various uh trials and tribulations taking place in this early church and now they're like hey these were our friends these were our brothers. These were our sisters, literal, not just not in, just in the sense. These were our literal brothers and sisters. And now they're, as you called it, schism away. They're, they're separating from them, and there's conflict. And he's like, don't be surprised by this. You are a child of God, but they don't understand the fullness of what that means. Mm-hmm. All right, so continue on in uh, verse 2. Uh, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, this is an interesting aspect here because in the previous chapter, we talked about, uh, uh, John talks about how Holy Spirit teaches us all things. And, uh, but even still, he's here going, I don't really understand the fullness of the second coming of Christ, which he's having to address. Cause that's one of the, um, objections being brought up by the Gnostics, but he's like, I don't understand it all. <laughs> no, I don't really understand the, the fullness of what it's going to look like when Christ returns. But what I do know is that if we have our hope in him, that, uh, Jesus will be pure and that we, as we put our hope in it, will be pure also. And, um, So this whole conversation of this willingness to confess ignorance, uh, I wanted to get your your thoughts on this. Um, Unfortunately, not just in our fellowship, but across the globe, ministers, we have this mentality of we can't be wrong or we don't want to be wrong. And we don't want to, at the same time, we can't let people know. We just don't know anything. And yet here we have an apostle, John, one who walked with Jesus, going, I don't know. Why is that so hard for us as leaders today to develop the honesty and willingness to say I don't know? And what, how would you encourage them to kind of work that out?
1: Yeah, and I think that that, that issue of the of the refusal to admit ignorance is mm-hmm. endemic to the human race
2: mm-hmm. and
1: especially pronounced among leaders, you know. Yeah. We we often associate our leadership with the, that we know everything, that we are mm. fully capable, et cetera. And, and I think that it's, it, it it's an admission of weakness mm. and frankly, of need for other people that, um, we don't want to admit that Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's the lack. It, it really kind of gets, comes down to It's a lack of humility. Yeah. it It, it is the unwillingness to admit that. We don't know everything. We do need other people, and mm-hmm. we are learners. I, I just finished recently a biography of Plato, and, of course, Plato was the great scribe of Socrates. And Socrates, uh, according to the legend, it, the oracle of Delphi had said you know, that Socrates is the wisest man in Athens. And Socrates started walking around and, and asking people what that meant, and he finally came to the conclusion that he was the wisest man in Athens because he knew what he didn't know. Oh. And I think that as Christian ministers that we need to be humble about what we don't know, but mm-hmm. courageous about what we do know. Right. And especially with regard to eschatology, I mean, John here is talking about, he doesn't know what will happen when Jesus Christ appears. This is the language of the second coming. Right. Um, you know, I think that when I I'm 54, so when I was coming of age in the seventies and eighties, uh, Es- eschatology was huge. how Hal- Lindsay, Late Great Planet Earth, Thief right. in the Night, in the 90s, of course, early 2000s, we had the Left Behind series. Right. And so a lot of people were making very strong opinions about the end times, and they turned out to be wrong. Right. And that's simply because we cannot know the future in detail. What we can know in detail is what Christ has done for us. mm and so as leaders, we need to have the humility to recognize that it's okay not to know everything or to be capable of doing everything. Mm-hmm. Christ, didn't, Christ didn't put us as leaders in the church in order to do everything. He, he, he put us as leaders in the church in order to do one thing, which right. is to prepare people for works of service, as Ephesians 4 puts it. And that means that we can frankly say, well, I need you to help me out with this other issue. So there's that humility but with that humility comes confidence in the more basic things that aren't speculative that aren't uh predictive and whatnot and so you know what can we be rock bottom confident about the love of god yeah and so that's that's where our absolute should be, not necessarily in figuring out you know uh, you know will will Jesus be wearing heavenly linen when he returns and you know all that kind of stuff,
0: yeah. And I think you hit, it. like, we can be confident on the, just the fact that the love of God, and it kind of goes back to the previous conversation earlier about people tend to lose their minds with their identity in Christ. And when they do that, if they don't understand the love of the Father, they don't understand who God is, they will start to go off to other avenues, they'll start to do other things. And there are pastors and ministers and, and other church leaders who, they feel like their confidence is in their title not just as their title as pastor or teacher, but their title of I'm the guy who knows. And for that to be called into question, they question their identity and they go, you know, what, what am I? What good am I if I don't know everything, but again, it's what good are you? Well, you're the, you're a child of God. That's where our identity lies. That's where we rest. Uh, we have a, um, kind of a teaching here at the healing place about this whole aspect of of our identity is in Christ not in our titles. Um you know my name is is Dallas. It's not pastor Dallas. Your name is is George. It's not reverend George, you know. Our identity is in that. But when we put our identity in what we do or our identity in what we are supposed to do, we get away from what God's called us to be all together. Right. And so Again, all this aspect of of love is here, and again, it it goes back to the conversation about even these heretics; they've lost track of their identity. There was a previous conversations in the passages where these weren't just random people. It wasn't like these heretics were people who were, uh, you know, just some random guy on the side of the street. At one point in time, they were in the fold; they were with these people, but they walked away from their identity with Christ, with God, and they chose a path that was. Demonic, in my opinion, and as was leading people away from the love of the Father, and so John's trying to correct this whole aspect and assure them: Look, God loves you; <laughs> He cares about you; you are His child, and there is certain things that come about with that. And let's continue this conversation on uh, verse four. Uh, what's here? My notes say four through six. There we go. Uh, it says this: Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, some of this is him dealing with that one of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the heretical teachings that you could, if you're one of the enlightened individuals, you could do whatever you want to do. Uh, There is no real consequence to sin. There is no real worry about God punishing us or a concept of hell. But he's saying, look, this is it. Sin is a thing. It is lawlessness. And as Christians, we should not and cannot be taking part in this at all. Uh, What are your thoughts on this?
1: I think this is one of those passages that often strikes modern Christians uh, as it's strange because you know it it's so absolute
3: mm-hmm. right
1: if you're in Christ you don't sin period right and if you do sin you're not in Christ period right uh, and you know we, <laughs> we can look around the church today and we can see all sorts of sinners and if we look in the mirror we see a sinner as well and so in, in one sense i think that, that 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 produces a a problem right because we're like thinking well how do i how do i square this this divine revelation with my Everyday experience, right? Um, but then, of course, the, the flip side of that is that this is laying out a standard that I think, as we look at churches that are broken, that, that have mm-hmm. had leadership failures, abusive leaders, immoral leaders, greedy leaders, we're kind of like, yeah, Christians need to do better. And so there's a there's a paradox or a tension here
2: mm-hmm.
1: of 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 us saying wow, this is almost too ideal. But then also saying, this is totally necessary. Right. And as I look at this passage, I think that the key to understanding and living into that tension really is, is verse five. And in fact, there's, mm. it's not only verse five. It's also, if you go down to verse eight, there's a similar pattern. So verse right. five again says, you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Mm. And so Christ isn't surprised by our sin. The whole purpose of his ministry was to take away our sin. Later, right. a couple of verses later, you know, uh, John frames this in terms of the devil. And he says that the reason that the Son of Man and God came was to destroy the works of the devil. Mm-hmm. The whole point of why Jesus Christ came is to make us like him. Um, in Greek Orthodox theology, they refer to this as theosis, God-making. Um, okay. In Western theology, we just call it glorification. Right. But it really has to do with us becoming like God, and the key is not our effort. Mm. Go back to you know the earlier verses. We are children, that we are born of the Father. We are right. dearly beloved. John mm-hmm. 2, this is love. Not that God that we love God, but that God loved dust and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Right. And so the way that we enter into communion and relationship with God is not by not sinning. It's by putting our total trust in Jesus. And as we Mm. do that, as we're in him, he begins to perfect in us his own character so that Christ is living in us. Right. And, you know, I, I, I often think that as we look around, um, At a lot of church failures, I think that probably if this verse is the diagnostic key, the reason why we see so many failures is because so many of us have stopped being actively in Christ. We've stopped living out that reality, and we've just Mm. fallen back on our own resources and our own power. Right. Um, And we need to recognize that we are lawbreakers. Christ has taken away our sin. And mm-hmm. he has, through the Spirit, put his own character in us and is perfecting that character in us. Right. And so in some ways, we already are holy, but the goal is to actually live deeper into that reality through the grace of Christ. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that that verse 5 is key. It's it's the work of Christ that produces in us this high moral uh, standard that mm-hmm. John tells the church to practice.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, and I'm glad that you you kind of talked about how like the following ep, uh, verses kind of echo everything you just talked about. Uh, verse seven, uh, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray, because that's what's happening. The ones who does uh, what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So that's talking to that whole aspect of you know we're going to be like Christ, we're going to be righteous, we're gonna, but that requires us to be active in that. Uh, these aren't passive terms. People think that being Christianity, being a Christian, is a passive thing. Oh, I, I did a prayer. I'm done. I could do what I want to do, but it's not. This is all very active conversation. We have to be active in our faith. Not that we're earning favor with God. Not that we're trying to earn our salvation. But the the work of Christ causes us to work out our salvation. Um, verse eight: um, The one who does what is sinful is of uh, the devil. That's pretty big language right there. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, as he said earlier. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So let me ask you this, because we talked about there's this tension there. What is your advice to a Christian who's like, look, I'm trying to work this out, but I'm unsure... Like you know, I've 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 done certain things, but there's a habit, there's a sinful thing. We're going to hit this a little bit later in a conversation uh, next week. But what's your advice to somebody who's struggling with that conversation? Because they 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 give their life to Christ, and they know they should not sin, but they're struggling with a habit, a, a an addiction, and they would just they want to get that out of their lives, but they just can't at the moment.
1: Yeah, I, I think that there are a lot of. Uh, a lot of points of application that we can think through. I know mm-hmm. that in uh, in a different book, not in First John, but in Ephesians,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, Paul is talking about uh, in Ephesians four. You know how how we how we go through a process of change, mm. and um, you know basically the pattern is is that we 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 see who we are in Christ. We see that in Christ, the wrong behavior is wrong. Right. And then we say, well, what what am I supposed to place that wrong with? So, for instance, uh, you know, Paul says there, you know, those who are stealing should no longer steal, but they should work hard in the Lord. Mm. Right. Of course, this is Ephesians 4 is taking place after Ephesians 2, where Paul has talked about you're saved by grace through faith, not through works. It's the gift of God not by works, lest anyone should boast. So right. there's, there's total clarity that that we are loved by God, not because of what we've done, but in spite of that. And so it's God's love for us that welcomes us into his family.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But once we're in the family, once we are the beloved, once we're the dear child of God, as you know, this passage talks about, we have to think differently. And so a lot of it, a lot of change, really has to do with how we think about ourselves again, with that identity question. There's an interesting field of psychotherapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a very effective form of therapy for people going through depression and anxiety, especially.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it basically says what you believe about yourself, your pattern of belief, your pattern of response, is what's driving your depression and anxiety. If you change your pattern of belief. Mm. then you begin to change your pattern of feeling and behaving. And so, you know, I think sometimes for people struggling with, let's say, an addiction, I know Alcoholics Anonymous says, once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. And there's there's truth in that. But by the same token, if that's always the way you think of yourself, if you think of yourself totally in terms of your failure and not in terms of what Christ has done for you, mm-hmm. it really does change you in very significant ways. It sort of limits your horizons. And we, we really, when we're talking to people about mortifying sin, putting to death sin, and vivifying the Spirit in their life, bringing the Spirit to life, we really do need to say, start with Jesus because you are in Him. Mm. He has died for you. He rose for you. He ascended into heaven as an exalted at the right hand of God For you. He intercedes for you and he pours out his spirit upon you and you are in him and you have the the resources of the Holy Spirit. So start living into that reality. Right. Um, and, and, and of course, then there are also, you know, just ordinary practices. You know, if you're struggling with pornography, figure out what your triggers are. And if if you start feeling triggered, walk away from a screen. Exactly. You know, if you, you know if you're if you're tempted to commit adultery on your spouse you know, figure out the don't go to places where you're going to be tempted exactly there's an interesting there's an interesting balance throughout this passage between the privileges of being a son or daughter of God and the responsibilities of being a son or daughter of God as the privilege we can approach God as his sons and daughters as his children as his beloved right that's where we start But Mm. as his children, we want to live in a way that pleases the father. And so you always have to keep them both. You can't lean so far into grace that you forget that you have to do some work and you can't lean so far into work that you forget that the foundation of everything is
0: God's love for you. Absolutely. Uh, recently, I was at uh, a lead conference here in Louisiana and we had a guest speaker and I feel bad because I cannot remember her name, but she was f- absolutely phenomenal. But she was talking about how as a young woman, she dealt with a uh, a pretty major uh, sinful habit and activity in her life. It was something that she was told by many people that it was just something that was always going to be part of her. She was just always got to live with. And she talked about the fact that the reality is, though, and this was even by Christian leaders just being told, it's just something that's there, you you know, you just have to change your habit. And there is a level of habit changing. But she goes, but we forget the fact we serve a sovereign God. We serve a powerful God. He created us from dust, but he can transform us. And so she goes that for her growing as she was dealing with these things, it was a matter of... Yes, leaning into God's uh, grace and, and allowing and working on the habit of stuff and working through this, but also going, God, I need you to transform me. I need the work of the Holy Spirit to transform my mind and my spirit completely because I do not want to live outside of what you have for me. And that takes an understanding of I'm in a better understanding, I'm in a better place if I'm in a proper relationship with God. I have a desire to be with him. And that comes from understanding that he loves us. He yeah. cares about us. And so when I look, when I talk to some people who are dealing with some of that stuff, I point like, look, you know, do you understand what your relationship with the father? That he loves you, how much he cares about you. And then out of that, like with any father, what what are you willing to do for your family? What are you willing to do with your father? I have a, um, a dear friend of mine and uh, his son is a great kid. Great dude. He's, uh, I say great kid. He's a young man. I've known him since he was like, <laughs> since he was born. So he's always a kid to me. So he's a young man. But I know there was a time frame where he was, his, as a son, he was struggling with his dad. He felt his dad was a little harsh. Just felt his dad was a little, little tough. There were things he didn't want to do. But he realized uh, at one point, everything his father's ever done was for him out of place of love. Because he mm-hmm. cared about him. And when he had that revelation of how much his father loved him and truly cared about him, it changed everything in his mindset and his spirit. And he began to shift his attitude, the way he did things, the way he viewed the world. And so for us, when we're dealing with certain things, if we understand our relationship to the father, that's the start, I think, of going, okay, let me start to make the change. Uh, There's now a a renewed desire in our spirit to go, I want to be what my father wants me to be. Right, because I know he knows it's good for me, right. and so there's a lot of this tension that takes place here that I think that, um, unfortunately, the, some of these people didn't understand. Yeah, <laughs> they walked away from it. And it's, I'm laughing at it awkwardly because, but it's it's sad. It's genuinely a sad cases here that we're dealing with it. Um, let's continue on this conversation though. Verse ten. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are and so he's laying this out here because he's like look we need to have a distinction here between things not just so that they can distinguish themselves from other people but for them themselves to those who are wondering have i strayed away from god have i gotten away from god so he's laying this out for them anyone who does not do what is right is not god's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister for this is the message that you heard from the beginning we should love one another. So John is kind of summarizing a lot of his teachings from this entirety of this, of this book here into these, uh, we have him as verses, obviously this is a single line for him writing it originally. Um, but if we, to be a child of God, we have to practice righteousness and we need to love our brother. Um, and what I love is that he's really is kind of echoing the words of Jesus from Matthew 22. Um, Find this here, my my notes here. You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the laws, uh, uh, the laws and the prophets. John is leaning in a, to this Jewish audience because they understand what the laws and prophets were. These have, they've have been taught also about who, about the teachings of Jesus, and he just bring back, look, this is the basics. This is the fundamental. Do what God says to do, and then love people. Yeah. Honestly, genuinely love each other. Um, any thoughts on that before we continue on? Yeah, I
1: mean, I think that if you look at 1 John, 1 John really makes explicit what I think is implicit throughout entire scripture, that everything that God desires for us and the entirety of our response to him is characterized by love. Mm-hmm. I, I have this idea for a book called Loving God. Oh. It's not a new book title, but you know, as an editor, there are there are two ways to take loving God. Um, you can take loving as a gerund, in which case you basically have a have a participle that's used as an adjective. And so loving God means that God is loving. Mm-hmm. And you can also take it as a participle, in which case it's talking about how we love God. That right. is the entirety of biblical religion, Yeah, that a loving God wants us to love him. And if we love him, we love his creation, especially the creation in his own image. And so a loving God wants us to love him and to love others. And, you know, it, it's, it's so simple, but it, it really does clarify a lot of things because— as Thomas Torrance said, there's not a God hiding behind the back of Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of God's perfect love. Right. And there's not some God behind Jesus' back who really just wants to smash us all. I mean, his desire is that we he, he loves us and he wants us to love him. Mm. And he wants us to love one another. And that really is the dividing line. If you've received God's love, you will love him and you will love one another. If you don't love one another, then something's gone wrong in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know John's using really absolute language here but but there is a sense in which we we have have failed to be perfected in love mm. if we don't love our neighbors
0: right and I think that's something that 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 again, it's absolutes, but we need to give ourselves grace because there's an aspect of sanctification <laughs> there's right. an aspect of walking this out and learning how to do things now what's interesting, he goes from talking about um loving our brother, this is the perfect thing that we need to love each other. But he contrasts that with a conversation in verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers uh, were righteous. So um, if you could, just for our audience, what made the works of Cain evil and his brothers righteous? Righteous.
1: Yeah, that's a difficult question because, you know, the story is narrated in Genesis chapter four. So right after the fall of Adam and Eve, you have the birth of Cain and Abel. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. this this whole thing. And I think sometimes we look and we say, um, you know, uh, well, um, Abel gave a better sacrifice because it was the sacrifice from the flock rather than the field. I, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I totally buy that because, you know, the Old Testament sacrificial system, you would you would sacrifice both flock and field right? right you would offer these things to god um and it's it's sometimes difficult to discern a motive we know that the outcome was wrong mm-hmm. right i think that the, maybe what helps us understand cain is is this phrase that comes when god is issuing judgment against him and he says sin is crouching at your door and it and its desire is for you or, or mm-hmm. you know but you must overcome it I think that the issue there has to be that there was something wrong with Cain's desires, that they were somehow defective in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not exactly clear what that defect was, mm-hmm. but but there was something off. Um, it may have been that he didn't love God. Maybe this was a perfunctory sacrifice. It could have been that he harbored some ill will toward his brother. I mean, clearly after the sacrifice, he definitely harbored ill will toward his brother. Absolutely. Perhaps he was jealous of God's recognition of his brother. It's not totally clear. But I think that when we go and look at our internal motivations and desires, I think that that ultimately is the root of action. Proverbs Mm -hmm. says, guard your heart. For out of it are all the issues of life. Mm -hmm. Jesus says the same thing, you know and so I think that we have to pay attention to what's going on in the heart, what do we desire, what do we want, Mm -hmm. and love means we want God, we want the best from God, the best for God, it means we want the best for our neighbors, we want the best for ourselves and if there's something deficient there, I think that that's where we start going down the road to the devil, who really wanted to replace God with himself that was his desire
0: yeah, exactly one of the things, and when I've I've studied out Cain and Abel before, it's interesting because when it reads specifically about Abel's offering, it specifically mentions that he gave the best of the flock, whereas Cain simply just gave uh, the field. And I've heard some people talk about that potentially. Again, you know, we're 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 speculating here, and I want to be clear to say that I I don't want to make up things, <laughs> right. but um, potentially. The sin of Cain was not just that he, it was that he didn't bring his best. He didn't bring everything that he wanted. And when you pair that with the conversation about sins crouching at your door, there's an aspect of we're not giving our all. We're not doing our very best. There's a level of laziness. There's a level of, eh, you know, it's okay. That's where the enemy gets a foothold in our lives. And out of that, you have Cain's. Again, I mean, just jealous rage that comes out. I think Cain was legitimately jealous of the blessings God had given him, but some of that at the same time, it comes from a place, and we keep going back to this a lack of his understanding of his identity with God and who, as, as a child of God, as God's, someone that God loves and cares for. Again, a child will give their very best to their parent regardless. I'm sure growing up, you had countless pictures on your refrigerator from your kids and you hung them with pride because they were the best thing your kids could do for you. You didn't right. look at it, the stick figure and go, you know, son, this looks terrible. Why did you draw this? No, right. it was the best you could do at the time. And right. you had pride in that. And I think that Cain potentially didn't, couldn't see past the fact that God maybe have punished him for not giving him his best. Yeah. It's possible.
1: Yet. It's an enigma, it's an enigmatic passage in Hebrew. Yeah. Um, and, and there's even sort of, even with Abel's name, it's, it's almost a prophecy of his end because it just means vanity or breath. I mean, it's like, it's almost like Eve named Abel and said, you're not going to be around for long. So <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a weird
0: name. but <laughs> He won't make it. He awkward. won't make it. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Um, but out of that, he goes, uh, John, back to First John, verse 13 says this, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Again, we're doing this contrast of what it means to love each other of as believers. But the world, basically by implication, he's relaying them to Cain. They've not given their best to God. They're not giving what God has. And so, yeah, there's this aspect mirroring of they're going to hate you. Because God loves you, because God cares about you, because he's bestowed upon blessings upon you that they simply do not have. And at the end of the day, it's their fault. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Verse 14. Um, We know what we have. I'm sorry, I messed it up. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So John says that the proof of our salvation is that we love each other. He also clarifies that those who hate um, their brothers is a murderer, and such individuals have no hope of salvation. Um This kind of mirrors the teachings of Jesus uh, in Matthew 5, where he speaks about the danger of judgment when we have anger in our hearts for our brothers. Um, If someone has found themselves at this place, and this is where I I would like for kind of more of your advice. If you find there's somebody that they're in this place, they have hate for their brother. They have, you know, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's things they haven't given up. Uh, Maybe there's uh, somebody in their life and they're just getting blessed and they don't understand what they're doing. How can, what's your advice to them on how to, re, you know, return from that point, get away from that moment and and be and what God's called them to be?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting um, just to, to comment on the issue of hatred is that hatred, there's, there, hatred is not a, a godly value. Let me put mm-hmm. it that way. You know, I know in our culture, uh, people who are orthodox in their theology and their ethics are often, you know, we, we hate, you hate people. You just hate mm-hmm. people. Um, and hatred is, is not a godly value. I mean, you can, you can talk about hatred of people. I mean, you can talk about hatred of sin or whatnot, but hatred of people is, is from the worldly and the devil side Mm -hmm. and it's tantamount to murder. I mean, I think that that, that goes to show again, that what we desire is what drives our actions and the logical consequence of hatred thankfully not always realized, is, is murder. <laughs> um, but, and I think that this is probably the biggest perspective shift that has to happen with our idea of God.
2: Mm.
1: Um, because I think many of us maybe were have, have come up with a sort of uh, implicit Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry God. Mm. He's, he just, he hates us. Right. He's dangling us like a spider by a web over an open flame, and the scissors are coming along to cut the thread. And it's like, no, that's not – it's just not the biblical picture of God. Exactly. He has a holy love, but God is love, and in him there is no darkness at all. Again, that Thomas Torrance quote is is great. There's no God behind the back of Jesus. If you want to know exactly what God is like, it is. it is always extending his love to us because his yeah. desire – is to restore us to fellowship with
0: him. Absolutely. And
1: I, and I think that that story has to replace in our minds the stories that we tell about other people. Mm. Um, and and the Bible does this consistently when it says, you know, basically, um, you know, this is what God has done for you. Now, do this to others. Yeah. The, the, the petition in the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our debts as, as we have been forgiven our debts, or as we forgive our, our debtors. Mm-hmm. there there is a there is a a continuity between what god has done and what we have must do mm. and once we get that story deeply into our bones that god is continually reaching out to us and calling us into fellowship with him once we've really internalized that it becomes very difficult to look at other people no matter ha- how hateful they may be to us no matter how much they may oppose us whatever it's difficult to look at them and say anything other than, you know, you also are created in the image of God, and mm. God wants you to be his son or daughter. Right. Um, and that's the attitude, isn't it, of the waiting father in the, in the parable of the prodigal son? Yeah. You know, the older brother is the one who's the most religious in that story. Yeah. He's like, nope, the younger sinner must pay, but it's the waiting father who illustrates this constant approach that God has that he loves us and he wants to bring us into relationship with him.
0: Absolutely. So good. So good. Well, up here in a second, I'm going to ask uh, uh, George to share his kind of big takeaway for this per- first section of the, of what we discussed today. Uh, but we want to hear from you guys. What are your thoughts on this passage? How has it encouraged you? Has it challenged you? How does this conversation encouraged and challenged you? Reach out to us uh, at MediaHub at thbhreeport.com or you can find our Facebook page. Just look for a midweek move. We pop up pretty easily. That being said, uh, George, what's your big takeaway for this uh, first section? Uh, Two words,
1: Mm -hmm. privilege and responsibility. Mm. We have incredible privilege granted to us by the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit to be his beloved children. And that should shape the way that we do everything. It should make us confident and unashamed in all of our lives. Yeah, And with that comes the responsibility to act like. A child of God yeah and a child of God acts like the father acts and so that's that's the way I would summarize the gist of this passage is that there is privilege which comes to us by grace but there's also responsibility which even that is the response of grace because God gives us his own spirit to change us from the inside out Mm. Um, so maybe you could say it's just all privilege because God is always extending grace upon grace to us
0: that's a good word. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thank you guys for watching. George, how can people find you? Uh, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about?
1: Uh, you can find basically most of what I write, almost everything that I write, in fact, at InfluenceMagazine.com. Uh, that is also, there is a tab on there uh, for, I do a lot of our book reviews. I do our podcast, and then we post articles for the magazine. Um, but the podcast is also listed there, and uh, that's the best place to go is influencemagazine.com.
0: Awesome. There will be links in the description down below for you guys. That being said, again, like I said, we, we want to encourage you guys, we want to challenge you uh, in any way, but reach out to us. Let us know how we can pray with you, let us know how we can do life with you. Until next time, have a great week.